Now, you guys might know Dan and Cindy Jones. Uh, Dan's father is Carl. Do you know Carl? <laughs> Who doesn't know Carl, right? <laughs> All right, Cindy, do you mind sharing with us a little bit about what took place recently? Okay, um, we had a house that was for sale in Alabama. We met in flight school and that's where we had a house. And um, it, we had renters in it and it was hard to keep renters just because of the nature of it's a military pace and everybody's coming and going. And so it had been empty for about five months. It, it had been empty for about five months. And so we were kind of struggling because we had, um, we've, we actually live with my in-laws, so we are here in series, and we are in a tiny house that maybe 1,100 square feet that we're living on top of each other. And so we were thinking, man, we would really love to be in a bigger house, and, but we couldn't do it with uh, this other house not being sold. So we were trying to sell that one, and we kept telling ourselves, you know, as soon as that house sells, then we can you know, move to a bigger place. And we were actually looking around, and we found a place up in Manteca, and we were um, pre-approved to um, be there, but we told them up front, that we're, we can't do this if we don't sell that other house. And that house wasn't selling, it wasn't selling. And so we were kind of getting discouraged about that. And so we talked about it, and we were praying, and Dan was actually at work, and I was praying, and, um, oh, please, God, help this house to sell and help it to sell. And this thought came into my mind, you know, um, why are you moving closer to work? Because... We both work in Stockton and farther away from church. And I was like, um, I don't know, you know, like... Wait, you know, okay, so okay. What's, what you're saying is that you guys had a house in Alabama mm -hmm. and that uh, you were living with your in-laws right now, Dan's parents, mm -hmm. but you were wanting to buy a house and you found a house in Manteca, right? And uh, so you went to go talk to the real estate agent and uh, what came to your mind again? While I was praying, a thought came to my mind that said... Um, why are you moving closer to work and farther away from church in this church family? And so I thought, oh, man, you know, like, I, I don't know. You know, and then, so while I was praying, I thought, or I asked God actually kind of directly. I was like, do you want us to stay in series? And I had shivers that started from the top of my head and went to my toes. And I was kind of like, oh, uh, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> and then I said, Lord, we really need this house to sell. You know, we'll stay here in series if that's where you want us, but we need this house to sell because we're not making it right now. And um, so I text that to Dan because he was, he was working, and he said, called me next morning, and I said, okay, you know, yeah, that house isn't selling. We need to call up the real estate agent and tell him we can't, we can't uh, go ahead with that house because our house isn't selling. So he called him the next day, and we went and did the paperwork when he got off work, and then um, that next, was it that next weekend? That next weekend, yes. That, that next weekend, the house was being shown in Alabama, and um, it, the people put an offer on it that very next weekend after that happened. And um, so that was just a confirmation, you know, that God wants us here. Amen. Amen. Do you want to share anything? No, she did a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Amen. Did you guys hear that? I mean, they reshifted their priorities to revolve around the church and God's kingdom rather than out in Manteca. And you know what? The Lord blessed them. Amen? Thank you so much for sharing. I, I do have one thing, because, you Go know, during the whole process, I was thinking about a sermon that you had preached. Uh, we always come to God with our problems, but with our solutions. And you can 
you know, Cindy will tell you, I was probably really pushing to get the bigger house. You know, hey, we can do it. We can make it. We can do it. And I was telling God, sell this house so we can buy this house because we need this house. And the whole time, you know, I, like right after Cindy had uh, texted me about it, I was thinking about that night, why am I going to God with my problems and with my solutions? I should be going to him with my problems and letting him have the solutions because he always Amen. has our best interest. And like I said, it was just within that week, my real estate agent called us up and says, hey, we have buyers and they're really interested and they want to be in the house before Christmas. Are you guys able to do that? I said, I will do whatever I need to do to you know, help them so they can even move in early and live there for a month free if they want the house that bad. And it just worked out perfect and that was just a huge burden off our shoulders that God took care of for us. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing. Praise the Lord. Can we say amen, church family? You know, it's very interesting. I was studying the Bible with somebody this week. And, uh, you know, we're studying the story of Elijah, that when Elijah was praying seven times, he was asking for God to do that miracle, right? And what was that miracle, church family? What was Elijah wanting? He was wanting rain, right? Now, was he praying according to God's will, yes or no? Was he praying according to God's will? Of course he was, right? Now, normally when most people pray, are you praying to things that are not part of God's will? I'm going to say this. No one really prays for the sun to fall on them, that asteroids would hit the earth, that they would get into a car accident. We don't normally pray things like that, right? When we're praying for things, generally we're praying for things already in accordance with the will of God. But why then the delay? Oftentimes, it's during the delay and the waiting time that God wants us to self-reflect. He wants us to search our own heart so that we may be trustworthy to accept his blessings. Because many times, we're not even safe to bless. And so what God does during that waiting time, he says, all right, I'm going to wait for you to search your heart to get to where I am, to be in tune with the Spirit of God so that you are now ready for that blessing. Can you say amen to that? And I just praise God for that because you know what? That waiting time is for our benefit. Amen? And so why don't we do this right now? Let's get on our knees. Let's pray again for the Holy Spirit. If we can all get on our knees and let's ask Jesus to bless us, to speak to us. Father in heaven, we just want to take a moment of silence right now just to lift our hearts to you. You alone can speak to us. Father, you said in your word, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, you will lift us up. And God, we are praying and asking for a blessing from heaven. We are praying and asking that the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts. Jesus, we want you to speak to us personally that when we walk away from this message, we will know very clearly that you have ministered to our very souls. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 4. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4. And we're going to start with verse 16. Jesus has just come out of the wilderness. He returned, the Bible says, in the power and spirit of the Lord. And he shows up in this synagogue on that very first Sabbath. And during that Sabbath service, 
they ask him to participate in the divine hour. They said, Jesus, we want you to read the scripture for us. So Jesus walks up there and pay attention to verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, what day? On the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So as soon as Jesus is done speaking this beautiful scripture passage found in Isaiah, watch what happens next. Verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today. What day? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now you would think they would be like, Amen, thank you so much, Jesus. We really love this blessing. But folks, I want you to pay attention to this. The very passage that Jesus was speaking about actually was rebuking them. Rebuking who? The Jews. Because the Jews had a belief about themselves. They believed they were under bondage to no man or to no nation. Because in the Old Testament, whenever Israel was under bondage, it was usually a sign that they were in idolatry. But at that time, who had conquered Israel? What nation was then reigning over Israel? Rome. One of the reasons why there were so much tensions between the Jews and the Romans is because the Romans, because the Jews did not want to believe that they were in bondage to sin. And so when Jesus says, look, I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives, all of a sudden they got very angry. Oh, no, 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 he is not talking about us. We are not prisoners. We are not prisoners. And they were offended. Now watch what happens next. Verse 22, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which appeared, which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? This can't be the Messiah. This is Joseph's son, the actual son of Joseph. And they revert right back to his lineage, his origin, a little bit shady. Jesus knows what they're saying at that very moment. He sees the unbelief in their face, he knows that they're doubting him right then and there. Some of them are very angry and offended at the very words that he is saying. Watch what Jesus says in return. It's very remarkable. Verse 23, he said to them, you will surely say to me this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own what? country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven, heaven was shut up for three years and for what? Six months. And by the way, how long was the ministry of Christ? Three and a half years. That's exactly right. Don't forget that. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a what? Widow. 
And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the what? The Syrian. Jesus reverts right back to them and says, look, let me just tell you about some Old Testament prophets. One of them was the name of Elijah. And one day during this big old drought that Elijah had proclaimed, he went to go help a woman. And this woman was a widow. She was a what? A widow. She was not an Israelite. And the reason why there was a drought in Israel at that time was because Israel had fallen under bondage to idolatry under the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. And then he says, let me tell you about Elisha. This was a time during uh, of spiritual idolatry as well. But guess what? One day this soldier came to him and needed help. And he helped out this soldier. Now, what's very remarkable about this, don't miss this point, is Jesus is basically communicating to the, to the nation of Israel, look, because you have deemed yourself unworthy of the blessings of God, Jesus is going to find others to give this blessing to. Because you people are wanting to guard the truth and not give this truth, I'm going to find those who are sincerely seeking after the truth. And folks, this message should hit home to Seventh-day Adventists today. Because we have been given such precious truths of the Bible. Can you say amen to that? But if our whole ministry is guarding those truths and not giving those truths, we're no better than the Jews who were during those days, during the time of Christ. And as Ellen White says, even the heathen who does right as far as he knows to do right is in a better position than those who are like the Jews who know better. Folks, do you guys realize why this is extremely important? And it's okay for you to say no, because I haven't actually got to the punchline yet. Good. Just seeing if you're awake. Now, watch this. You're going to see something very remarkable at this moment, okay? I want you to jump up to two chapters, okay? Luke chapter 6. And I want you to scan Luke chapter 6. And I want you to tell me which sermon is in Luke chapter 6. It's a well-known sermon, appears in three of the Gospels. What sermon is in Luke chapter 6? The Sermon on the Mount, right? Perhaps Jesus' most famous sermon where he talks about the blessings and the woes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, right? And it's a literal sequence that he describes. But what's very interesting, at the very end of this powerful sermon, he gives an appeal story. Do you know what an appeal story is? An appeal story is sort of what preachers do at the very end when they start describing the little boy who was on the railroad tracks and his father went to save him and he ended up losing his life. And so at the very end of it, you're just crying because you're just like, praise the Lord, that little boy, that's me. You know, so that's what an appeal story is. Jesus gives an appeal story at the very end of his sermon. The appeal story had to do with two men who were building a house. One of the men builds a house and he digs deep into the foundation and gets right down to the rock. Another man builds himself a house on earth. Notice both men are building houses, but it's where they're building those houses that's very important. One builds into the rock, the other builds on 
loose sand. And the storm came, and it washed away the house that was built on sand. And then Jesus says, but let me tell you what it's like for the man who was on the rock. The house stood still, and it refused to move under the weight of the storm. And then he says this, so is he who hears my word and does it. So is he who hears my word and what? Does it. You know why this is very remarkable? Because in the very next chapter, Jesus describes somebody who actually hears the word and does it. He tells his disciples about this, this parable, and then he says, let me show you what a living example of that looks like. And do you know what you find in the very next chapter? Jesus actually visiting Capernaum, and there he comes across a soldier who was dealing with a sickness, and he comes across a widow who needs her son resurrected. Those were the very exact same thing that Jesus talked about two chapters earlier. He gave this big old sermon to the Jews and he says, look, you guys have got to listen to the word of God. And they were just shunning him and then he says, you know what, I'm going to go to a land where there's going to be two people, a soldier and a widow, and you're going to see that they're going to hear me. Now let me ask you a question. What did he reference in the Old Testament about a soldier and a widow? The story of Elijah and the story of who? Elisha. And so there is a parallel in those two stories. Now I want you to see this. Go to Luke chapter 7. Starting with verse 1. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered where? Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews to him, pleading with him to come down and heal his servant. And when they had came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, the one from whom he should do this was deserving, or in some translations, worthy, for he loves our synagogue and has built us a what? For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Excuse me. All right, now we're ready for Bible study. Ready? Here we go. So I need hands raised for this. Okay. I want you to tell me all you can about this centurion based upon the verses we have only read. Tell me all you can about this centurion based upon the verses we have just read. Nothing past that point. He was generous. Okay, very good. What else can you tell me about this centurion? Okay, I need your hands raised because I can't interpret ten people talking. Okay, how about you? He was a follower of Judaism. He was a follower of Judaism. Okay, anything else you can tell me about this centurion? Okay, he believed Jesus could heal the servant. Anything else you can tell me based upon these first few verses that we have read? He was dear to Jesus. Very good, right? Obviously, Jesus went to Capernaum and he healed just about a few people. Anybody else? Yes. He's a what? He's a captain, right? He's a soldier, just like Naaman was, right? What else can you tell me about this centurion based upon those first, first few verses? Yes. Okay, he was somebody who was a ruler, right? Okay, anybody else? Yes. He was not a Jew. Okay, now let's elaborate a little bit more on that. How do you think this centurion grew up? 
under Roman paganism, right? Now, how many gods are there in Roman paganism? <laughs> There's a lot of gods, right? Even Pilate said, what is truth? Because he had heard so many versions of what truth was, right? This is very remarkable. This centurion, centurion did not... I said Cheerios for a second there. <laughs> okay. This um, centurion did not grow up believing in the true God. He had, he had grown up around many different gods. You would think somebody like this could be jaded by religion, especially when philosophy was really reigning in the Jewish, excuse me, in the Greek and Roman cultures. But here he is, he becomes a believer. We don't know how he becomes a believer, but all we do know is that he becomes a believer. And instantly we begin to notice some things about this centurion. Okay? Now I want us to go a little bit further in the next few verses. I want you to see something else about this centurion. Verse 6. Then Jesus went with them. And when he, had already, when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not what? Worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I do not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, to, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he, what? Does this. What else can you tell me about this centurion, about what we just, had, what we just read? Yes. Yeah, he has a faith in God's word, right? What else can you tell me about this centurion? He's humble. How do you know he's humble? How is he putting himself below the healer? I know you're not worthy out, but tell me why. <laughs> That's exactly what he's saying over and over again. He is saying what? I am not what? Now, how did the Jews describe this centurion? What were they placing worth upon? They were placing worth upon the fact that he was a leader of men and upon what? Wealth. What else? His influence. What else? He was the guy who was a big tithe and offering payer in the church, huh? He built the synagogue. He loaned his resources to the church. I mean, think about it. If you're going to recommend somebody to Jesus, wouldn't this be the guy right here? I mean, he's, he, he, this guy right here, he, he's influential. He is donating his time, his money. He's a convert. This guy is worthy to be what? Helped. But when he shows up to Jesus or he sends his servant out, what are his exact words? I am not what? Worthy. You know why this is very remarkable? Because this centurion knew something about Jesus, that if Jesus showed up in his house, that Jesus potentially could be defiled. For a Jew to enter into the house of a Gentile would potentially defile the Jew. And so this centurion doesn't want Jesus to get defiled, and he says, no, 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 you don't even need to come inside my house. It's okay. And so he sends the men out, and he says, look, this is what I want you to tell Jesus. Tell them that I'm not worthy for him to do this. I don't even think myself worthy even to come to Jesus, because I don't want him to be defiled by my sin." Now let's see the rest of the encounter. 
Verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He what? Marveled at him. And turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such what? Great faith? No, not even in what? Israel. Now, what did Jesus say about this man's faith when he said, I have not found such great faith in Israel? What was he saying, essentially? There ain't nobody like this man. Now, let me ask you a question. According to the context, what would then be the definition of faith? What would be the definition of faith according to the context then? Say it a little louder. Not believing yourself worthy. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Can you say it again? Believing without seeing, right? What else? Trust. Okay, anybody else? Okay, to believe. Notice this. The times that Jesus rebuked his disciples, it was generally under a case or a circumstance when the disciples did not trust his word. But here you have a man who deems himself very unworthy to receive the blessings of God, yet Jesus says, look, this guy is worthy. He is worthy to receive a blessing, not because of his actions, but because of the worth I have placed upon him. Folks, don't miss this point. This is the point we are driving at today. This is the point that we are driving at today. None of us is worthy to receive a blessing from Jesus. None of us are, are how we can say, innocent in the presence of God. None of us can come and say, look, there is no unclean thing in me and ask Jesus to do something on our behalf. None of us has any righteousness that can actually commend us to God. None of us have been Adventists long enough that we can still ask God for a blessing. Folks, don't miss this point. No one in earth is worthy to receive a blessing from Jesus. Not by works of righteousness that we have done. But here you have a case of a man who apparently, who you think to yourself, when, and I would think to myself, yeah, I don't really think this guy could actually be blessed by God. Well, he didn't grow up this way, first of all. Number two, he's from a different class of society. Number three, he's probably got some doctrines wrong too. Yet you want to know what made the difference in this situation? The man saw no worth in himself. Even though others placed worth in him, before God, he says, there's nothing here, God. In me dwells no good thing. You know, it's very remarkable. When you read the story of uh, Solomon in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White says something remarkable. She says, never was Solomon as rich or as wise as when he said, I am just a child before you, Lord. Solomon, when he was willing to say, God, I'm nothing, I'm just a puny little nothing. When he realized his nothingness, it was then that God could say, look, there is nobody like this on earth. 
You have never been so wise and you have never been so rich as when you have reached this point of becoming less and less and less. Folks, many of us are striving for blessings from God, but there is a big problem. We are coming to God with our own righteousness. We are coming to God with reasons for why we should be blessed. The only reason that we can actually pronounce to God that would be worthy is this. God, there is no worth in me. It is in you and you alone. Can you say amen to that? There is nothing more invincible, there is nothing more helpless, yet more invincible than a soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon God. Folks, do you know Jacob, when he was about to see Esau, he said, I am not worthy? Do you know Paul said, I am not worthy of all the saints? Do you know that John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy even to loose his sandals? And all three of these men were tremendously blessed by God. Why? Because they saw the proper relationship between them and God. There's nothing in me. I don't have anything to commend me to God. And when they realized this, when they finally understood that there was in me no good thing, that even their righteous works were tainted by sin, they would come to God just as they are. And their only argument was their great need. And it was there that God could bless them. Folks, many of us are praying and asking for the blessings of God. But we need to be first trusted with those blessings. Amen? We need to be able to come to God and say, Lord, there is no reason for why you should do this. The only merit I have is the merit that belongs to you, Lord. In me dwells no good thing, but in you dwells all goodness and all righteousness. You want to know why people have a hard time praising Jesus for his righteousness during praise time? because we quite don't understand what it means. That's why, like, for example, I'll sit around a group of people and I'll be like, who wants to praise God? And the number one thing we can praise God for is basically all their needs have been taken care of. And there's a need for that. But generally, we're usually like this. Okay, i got to think of a blessing that God gave me today. A blessing this week. How about... I know it. My cell phone was found. I lost my cell phone and it was found. Praise the Lord. But here's the thing. You have much more to praise God about than your cell phone being found. You know what it is? The righteousness of Christ. The worthiness of God. Do you know your prayer life and your spiritual life would be so much greater if you start placing more worth in Christ and less worth upon yourself? You will actually see a difference when you start coming to God with your nothingness and you start turning all the glory over to Jesus and what he has done for you on the cross. I promise you this, your experience will be powerful. You know, I've been a Christian for about 11 years now and only in the last year have I begun to really discover this that I've really begun to understand that all my worthiness comes only from Jesus and him alone. That in me dwells no good thing. And in the morning, 
When I'm going before God, you know what I want to do first generally? This is such a habit that's in each one of us. You want to know what it is? God, please forgive me for my sins. You want to know know why we start with confession first? Because we believe that our confession recommends us to God too. Now let me ask you, is there any merit in confession? There is no merit in confession. There is no merit in that. Confession is actually third on the list. It is not the cause of grace, but rather the effect of grace. And so when I would always start off my prayers, I would always go, Lord, please forgive me for all my sins. Please forgive me for what I did yesterday. Please forgive me for just just waking up and not wanting to pray. And what I'm doing right then and there, I'm commending myself to God. And what the Lord began to really reveal to me at that very moment, he's saying, Anel, Instead of confessing your sins and thinking to yourself that you are being made right, you need to thank God because I have already made you right in my blood. And the confession comes as the effect of that, not the cause of God's grace. Can you say amen to that? And folks, this is something that we need to understand. Amen? And more and more, I really believe that this year, as God begins to pour out His Spirit in powerful ways, we're going to be understanding more and more the simplicity of the gospel. We need to get back to that and right back to the fundamentals of understanding the deep truths of his word of God, of the word of God. Can you say amen to that? I know a lady. Her name is Ellen White. Some of you may know her. Do you know her? Do you know her? This little lady, she said something one day. Okay, she said something very powerful one day. This is really awesome. I'm going to read this to you. And here's what it says. I asked the angel why there was no more faith and power in Israel. He said, you let go of the arm of the Lord too soon. Press your petitions to the throne and hold on by strong faith. The promises are sure. Believe you receive the things you ask for and you shall have them. I was appointed to Elijah. He was subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. His faith endured the trial. Seven times he prayed before the Lord, and at last the cloud was seen. I saw that we had doubted the sure promises and wounded the Savior by our lack of faith. By our lack of what? Faith. If the enemy can lead the desponding to take their eyes off from Jesus and look to themselves and dwell upon their own unworthiness instead of dwelling upon the worthiness of Jesus, his love, his merits, and his great mercy, he will get away their shield of faith and gain his object. They will be exposed to his fiery temptations. The weak should therefore look to Jesus and believe in him and there exercise faith. Can you say amen to that? Here's the thing I want you to understand about this centurion that was very remarkable. He wasn't just somebody who recognized his unworthiness. He was somebody who recognized the worthiness of who? Jesus. The worthiness of who? Jesus. And so when he came to God, God did not turn away that blessing from him. Folks, this is something that we as Seventh-day Adventists need to come more and more to an understanding of. 
that there is no worthiness in us, but there is only a worthiness in Christ. Can you say amen to that? When you start off your prayers in the morning, you ought to start them off not with confession, but with thanksgiving. For God commended his love to us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast away. We ought to thank God for that. In me dwells no good thing, but in him alone is all goodness and worthiness and power and glory. Amen. And as we focus our prayers not on our worthiness, but on his worthiness, what begins to take place is a transformation of faith. And folks, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to look away from self and look to Jesus. Amen? To look to Jesus this week, to rely on his worthiness and his holiness and reap the blessings that he has for you. Can you say amen to that? Church family, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, that you made the first move. That your righteousness went out to meet us. God, we praise you today. We pray that we may take hold upon that faith that does not look to ourselves, but looks wholly to you, God. And Jesus, we pray and ask that John the Baptist's prayer would be our own, that we would decrease and you would increase. Father, we pray and ask more and more that we would see the glory of God and less and less the glory of man. Not our own beauty, Lord, but the beauty of the Lord. God, give us the faith of this centurion. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.